For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That is a statement from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, New King James Version. And it tells us something very important about the role of faith in the walk we have with God and His children. Notice that he said, and I'm struck by this, that he did not say that it's difficult to please God without faith. He didn't say that it's challenging to please God without faith. He didn't say that it'd be nice to have faith. It's a desirable trait or characteristic. He said, no, it is absolutely impossible to please God without faith that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so, friends, it cannot be done. You cannot please God simply by being a good moral person. You cannot please God simply by doing good works. You can't please God simply by serving in the community. The Hebrew writer says that we must believe God. We must have faith in God's Word. We must have faith in God's promises. We must have faith in what God has said. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we want to talk about that concept this morning. The idea of faith, and when we talk about faith and, and examples of faith and demonstration of faith and exemplars of faith, I don't know if we can do any better than Abraham, right? Abraham, because we know in Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the Hall of Fame of Faith because we have this great listing of all of these heroes, these great witnesses who did things by faith. Abraham is mentioned in that listing, and not just once, but twice. Twice, and so it's appropriate for us to look at Abraham to understand what it means to have the kind of faith that God requires in order to be pleased with us. And so we're going to call the lesson this morning, if you will, Lessons from the Faith of Abraham. Lessons from the Faith of Abraham. And if you will, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis the 22nd chapter. We'll spend a lot of time there, not all of our time there, but a lot of time there. Genesis chapter 22. Now, let me briefly say by way of introduction, I am not Bob Hutto. <laughs> Bob Hutto is the regular preacher here, and he and Cherry are out of town uh, for family, uh, family event Thanksgiving. It's spending time, Lord willing, he'll be back with Cherry this evening. And I say mercifully that I'm not the preacher here, mercifully for y'all. I was uh, at a congregation last weekend and had a gospel meeting, a weekend gospel meeting, preached Friday night. And then uh, was getting ready to preach Saturday night. One of the brethren there invited me out for dinner. And we had a very nice dinner while we're sitting there talking with his wife and his mother. He said, uh, you know, I, I told my wife, I was shocked. You were on time last night. That is your sermon. I know what you're thinking, Wes. And I told my wife that you better eat well in order to prepare for Brother Clark's sermon. And she said, uh-huh. So that's why I say mercifully, but let's be fair about it. Y'all know good and well that Bob does not get finished until 11.10 or 11.15. So judge me accordingly. 11.10 or 11.15. Watch that clock. But in Genesis chapter 22, we want to read this great demonstration of the faith of Abraham. 
just incredible. Genesis chapter 20, let's just read. It's very valuable for us to read God's Word. Genesis chapter 22, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? After Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel Lord called him from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son and your only son from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So much to be impressed by, by this account. Can you just imagine? I know we, we read this, we read it in Bible study, we teach it in vacation Bible school, but I, I don't know if we always fully appreciate what we just read. Do, 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 do we understand, do we appreciate that, that God told a man, God told a father, God told that father that loved his son to take that son and to kill him and provide him as a burnt offering to the Lord. Can you imagine receiving that order, that instruction, that statement from the Lord? Being told that you must kill your child. And then you add to it the fact that this is the child, <laughs> Isaac, this is the child through whom God said all these wonderful blessings we're going to come through Abraham. This is the child through whom the great descendants, the great nation would come. This is the child through whom that great nation would possess the land of Canaan. This is the child through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed, i.e., through whom the Messiah would come. And you know what's impressive to me about this narrative? I don't know about you, but um, when somebody asks me to do something or tells me to do something, and I don't want to do it. I have a tendency to procrastinate. <laughs> I have a tendency to put it off. If I, I really, I do it at work all the time, the things I don't want to do. I find everything else in the world to do, but not that. My wife may say I do that at home. Uh, but the things I don't want to do, I put off. Did you notice that here Abraham, a father of a child he loves, is told to kill that child? And what did he do? It said he rose early. 
in the morning. <laughs> Early and no hesitation, no equivocation, no, I, I don't know, I don't know. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? What if Abraham had gone through with, with this? And what if he was wrong in what he concluded? We'll talk about that in just a minute. And his son is dead at his hands. And he has to come back to Sarah and explain, I just killed our son. What? But because you thought God's, you, you thought God told you, are you out of your mind? What would we do today, today, if we had a father who killed his son and his defense was, God told me to do it? Oh, you know what would happen. <laughs> you know what would happen. And so I want us to appreciate the situation that, that Abraham was, was put in. And, and you wonder, well, how, how did he do this? I mean, how did he work it out? There were so many complexities, so many difficulties between what God had told him before and what God is telling him now. And fortunately, we've got some commentary on that. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. Hebrews the 11th chapter, verses 17 through 19. The Bible says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. There's our explanation. Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. Abraham believed God so much that even though there, there's some surface tension between saying this is the son through whom you're going to have this great nation and this is the son through whom that great nation is going to occupy the land of Canaan and this is the son through whom the Messiah is going to come and bless all the nations of the earth. There's some tension between that command or those promises and the command to take that very son through whom all that's going to happen and kill him. You know what Abraham said? He said, you know what? God will take care of that. God, I've concluded God will raise him from the dead. God will raise him from the dead. Do you realize what a remarkable amount of faith that is? That he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Why did he believe that? You know, what's interesting, if we look at the biblical record, was there any indication that anybody had been raised from the dead before this time? <laughs> Answer, no. Where did, I mean, because if you see something, if something's happened before, then yeah, it makes it easier to, to, to believe it could happen again. But, but there's no indication that this had ever happened. How is it that Abraham works out in his mind that, well, God will just raise him from the dead, but whatever, I'm going to do what God said. That's how much he trusted God. Yes, we can learn some lessons from the faith of Abraham. The first lesson we learn is this. We must act upon our faith in God. We must act upon our faith in God. It's not enough for us to understand and believe what God has said. 
It's not enough just to have that mental assent, just to have that information, but we must act upon that information. We must do something based on that information. If we look to Hebrews 11 and we go down through the Hall of Fame of Faith, by faith people did things. By faith Abel offered a better sacrifice, Hebrews 11.4. Hebrews 11.8, by faith Noah prepared an ark. Even Abraham's talked about by faith he went out for the land of the Urchaldees. The point is, people did things based on their faith. We have religious people who say, oh, no, no, no. It's sufficient to have this information in your mind and to believe it, but one does not have to act upon it. And we learn from Abraham the very often. Would it have been sufficient for Abraham to do this? The Lord had tell him to kill, told him to kill his son, offer him as a burnt offering, and he gets to that opportunity, he gets to that place, he gets to that time, and, and he says, you know... No, I'm not going to do that. Lord, I believe. I believe you can raise him from the dead. I do believe this. I believe you can fulfill your promises even if I kill him. But I just don't, I can't, I can't no, I'm not going to do it. But I do believe, God, don't, don't take anything. I do believe now. Would God have then said, now I know that you fear God? Of course not. Ah, Abraham had to be willing to act, and he was willing to act. He raises the knife, he's about ready to do it. It was only the angel of God from heaven saying, stop, stay your hand. Do the lad no harm. Faith must be acted upon. Look at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 and 26. We learn from the faith of Abraham that we must act upon our faith in God. We must act upon that faith. It is not enough to simply have it, but we have to act on it. Acts, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. The Bible says this, What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does that profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now listen to our example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You've got to act upon your faith. He said, it does you no good for you to see somebody who's naked and destitute and needs something to eat. And you know what you do? You say, hey, <laughs> depart, be warm, be filled. Send them on your way. You have the means, you have the ability to take care of the needs, but you don't do that. You just send them along the way. He said, you know what? That's worthless. And that's just like faith without works. That's worthless. And he's not uh, manufacturing some conflict between faith and works because he says, I'll show you my faith by my works and says, that's exactly what we see in Abraham. We saw the faith of Abraham in action as he was willing to kill his son, the son through whom the promises were going to happen.
That's what faith does. We have to act on our faith. And while it's easy for us to look at other religious groups and say, well, they've got it wrong when they say faith only, faith only. Let me ask you this. How many of us know that there's one church? How many of us know that it's not enough to be religious to be saved? How many of us know that you have to obey the plan of salvation to be saved? And we sit and we walk and we stand in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and we don't say a word to the people around us who do not know that information. Faith without works is dead. How dare we sit and let people go to hell and we don't say a word. But, but I believe! I know about the one church, and I know what the church can do, and I know what the church is authorized to do with this money. That's all well and good, but what are you doing to spread it? And every single one of us is obligated to spread it. It's not just the preachers and the elders and the deacons. Every single one of us has an obligation to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why Jesus came. That's who's over us. That's who saved our souls. That's who's, we're in His church. And the whole purpose we're here is to do His work, which is seek and save that which is lost. So, before you jump on others about faith without works is dead, let's look at ourselves and see if we're doing some of that. We learn from the faith of Abraham that we must act on our faith. But let me give you a second list that we learn from the faith of Abraham. We learn from Abraham that faith means trusting God, even when you don't understand all the details of His will. Let me say that again. We learn from Abraham that faith means trusting God, even when we don't know all the details of His will. Go back to Genesis 22, when God told Abraham, to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering. Did God say, now, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, Abraham, I know, I know that I told you before, as recorded in Genesis 12, that uh, I'm going to, through this son, uh, bless you and have many descendants, and it's, that group of people is going to develop into a mighty nation. I know that. I know that I told you through this son, this mighty nation is going to occupy the land of Canaan. And I know that I told you through this son that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I know that I said that. Don't worry about that. We're going to work it out. I'll raise him from the dead. I, we got this. We got this. Don't, did, did God say that? <laughs> Answer, no. God didn't explain any of that. God just said, kill your son. And it was Abraham who just worked out his mouth. I don't know how this is going to happen, but the only thing I can figure out, somehow, some way, he's going to raise him from the dead because he told me this other, and he told me to kill him. And I just have to do it. I think that's a great example for us, folks, because we, we live in this day of enlightenment. We live in this day of knowledge, and we live in this day of understanding. And, and we forget 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You're not going to be able to work out all the details of God's will. Anybody ever heard Deuteronomy 29, 29? Deuteronomy 29, 29 said, The secret things belong to the Lord. But those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children, that we may do all the words of this law. God has told us, I'm not telling you everything. You don't have all the information. That's why we can never sit in pronouncement or judgment uh, on God's commands. We don't have all the information. He just told us that. There are gaps in our knowledge. By design. I like to call those God's gaps. And we need to leave God's gaps alone. As one guy said, we, we spend too much time whittling on God's end of the stick. Amen. Sometimes I'm in Bible classes and I hear, I hear things said, 
And uh, I remember we were back in Memphis. There was a brother back there, Brother Woodard. He was a tall, thin, wiry guy. And Brother Woodard, Woodard he was going to keep you honest on the Scriptures. And you got up there teaching, and you said something that you didn't have the Word of God. Those big long arms went up. He said, hey, that's speculation. <laughs> that's speculation. I've always remembered that. But sometimes we spend way too much time speculating and not spending on what's revealed. <laughs> we, we, we want to talk about what, what God knows and we don't know. I said, look, wait a minute. We, we got, this is a lifetime worth of work right here. This is what's revealed. This is what's revealed. Now, if you can master this, maybe we can move on to the secret things of God. But, but no, you can't because you can't master this. <laughs> you know that as well as I do. This is a lifetime worth of work. What God's revealed. So we'll leave the secret things alone. There's some, maybe there's some things you want. Maybe you don't understand why God taught what he did about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Maybe you don't understand why God had such a specific plan of salvation. And there just seem to be good people who haven't done that. And based on your understanding, they would be lost. But that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. Hey, don't worry about the details. You know, we always have people that throw up to us uh, if we believe that baptism is required because the Bible teaches it. Well, well, well what about somebody who, who's somewhere where there's no water? All right, time out. <laughs> time out. 15 yards for that. When in the history of mankind has there been a civilization that was built in a place where there was no access to water? Let me, let me help you. I'm not a historian, not a college professor. None. You always, you look at the developments. That's how things are. And if, you, if, you don't, if you're not right there by the water, you're going to have means to get that water. Irrigation, you ever heard that? And yes, can you put yourself at one moment in time at a place where there's not water? But that's one moment in time, and that's your problem. And you had plenty of opportunities when there was water all around you to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't play that. Don't play that. But there might be some things that we, we just don't understand. We walk by faith, not by sight. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 3. We learn from the faith of Abraham that we... We must trust God even when we don't understand all the details of His will. We still trust Him and we still obey Him. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand, listen to this, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith we understand that God, His Word framed the worlds. Everything was created by the Word of God. I remember when I was back in college, I spent a lot of time uh, studying apologetics and evidences, and it's, it's a great study. I'm not saying anything against that study. In fact, I think we're going to be studying some of those things here. But there's always an asterisk with those things, right? There's always an asterisk because right here the inspired writer says, now you know how we really understand what happened back then is by faith. You weren't there, I wasn't there, nobody was there, and nobody's going to be able to duplicate. Nobody can recreate an experiment of creating the entire universe. And so guess what? There's faith. Really, if we're honest with us, faith on a lot of sides. <laughs> they can't prove what they believe either. Now there, there is evidence, don't get me wrong. There are signs. The heavens declare uh, the wonders of God. I understand that. But ultimately, if Hebrews 11.3 is right, and it is, it says we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God by faith. Let us never misunderstand that. 
And I tell people, look, I, I got limited time. I'm a married man. I got kids. I got a job that's demanding. And if I got limited time, as much as I'd love to dive into the science, and I could, I'm going to stick with this word because it's going to build my faith that I need to be pleasing to God. Again, that's no knock on apologetics. It's a great study. It's not saying the evidence is not there. God has put it there. But ultimately, we understand by faith. What's the point? Quit second-guessing God. There may be a lot of things that you say, I'm not sure why God said it that way. I'm not sure why God designed it that way. Maybe somebody struggles. Why did God condemn homosexuality? Or why did God say that the man is the head of the wife? You know, there are scriptural reasons given for that. But here's the thing. Ultimately, if you keep asking why, 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 like your kids, why, 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 ultimately, what is God? Because God said so. That's ultimate. I, I tell parents, I think it's good. I mean, it's wonderful that we try to give explanations for the things that we discipline our kids for. But don't forget, sometimes it's good to tell your children, because I said so. Because I said so. You say, why is that? Well, what happens when you train young people up? And they always have to have an explanation for what you did, for the actions you took, for discipline, for the parameters, for the rules. There always has to be an explanation that makes sense to them. Those kids become citizens that say, all right, this law doesn't make sense to me. I don't think I'm obeying it. Y'all know good and well that there's some speed limits that don't make sense. You know that. You know that. 25, it makes no sense whatsoever. But we still have to obey it, right? But worse yet, what happens when, not if? When you come across a teaching of God that you can't figure out why God did it that way, why God demands that we do this, are you going to say, well, I can't understand it, so I'm rejecting it. That's what a lot of the world does. Just pick and choose. It doesn't make sense to me. That's out. Uh Uh-uh. Because God said so. He's already told us. He's told us, I've got information you don't have. You can't possibly judge what I'm telling you because you don't have it all. And we don't believe that. Faith teaches us that we have to trust even when we don't know all the details. Let me give you a third point that we learn from the faith of Abraham. We learn from the faith of Abraham that faith requires us to obey God even when we don't want to do what He says. Say that again. Faith requires us to obey God even when we don't want to do what He says to do. Let me ask you this if you don't believe that. Do you think Abraham was just giddy with excitement. Oh, great, I get to kill my son. Of course not. You know that was horrible. You know he did not want to do that. You say, well, Kevin, he, he had the faith that, that, that God would raise him from the dead. And yes, Hebrews 11, 17-19 says that. But before you get to that, you got to go through a pretty difficult process of killing your son. And I don't know about you, if, you, if you've had the blessing, and it is a blessing, to see loved ones who, who just pass away peacefully in their sleep. And yes, we mourn. I'm not taken away from that. And yes, we cry. I'm not taken away. But there's something beautiful about someone just passing away gently into the next life. Versus if you've ever had the unfortunate experience of seeing a loved one who went struggling, gasping, in pain, difficult. And let me say this. If you kill your son as a sacrifice for burnt offering, there's nothing peaceful about that. Can you imagine how violent that would be? Can you imagine hearing the death rattle of your son after you plunge the knife into him? Can you imagine the blood? 
Can you imagine that? Are you going to tell me, he, even though he has that faith, that he wants to go through that? You know better than that. And yet, he was willing to do it anyway. Faith requires that we do what God tells us to do, even if we don't want to do it. Folks, newsflash, there are things in the Bible you may not want to do. I'll tell you, there's things in the Bible I don't want to do. I, when I hear people talk about, well, we can cut this out and we can cut that down. I'm like, hey, can I sign up for that? Because I got some stuff I'd like to get out of there too. Let's start with that turn the other cheek business. Let, let, let me tell you, hey, this is a window in my psyche, unfortunately. Uh, you do me wrong, like bullies in school, I wasn't always as big as I am now. And so, you know, little guys get picked on, right? And so, but I learned very quickly, you sting a big guy verbally, he won't mess with you anymore. And so, you know, I, and I don't believe in proportionate justice either. I believe in, in Colin Powell's shock and awe. <laughs> and, and so that's what I would like to do. But, but, but you know what the Lord says, turn the other cheek. It's not a matter about what I want to do. There are lots of things that we may not want to do. And it, it didn't make Abraham a bad person to not want to kill his son. Doesn't mean he didn't love God. Doesn't mean he didn't trust God. He absolutely did. But he didn't want to do this. In fact, if, if you recoil from that, that suggestion that we have to do things we don't want to do, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus in Matthew 26, 39, when he says, not my will, but your will be done? Now, that doesn't make any sense if there's just no daylight between what God wanted him to do and what Jesus wanted to do. Don't get me wrong. Jesus loved us. Jesus wanted to go to, or needed to go to the cross, went to the cross. But there's an aspect of that where that's the only way you make sense of it. He did not want to go through. That's why he says, let this cup pass from me. What else does that mean? And yet, we praise him because he said, not my will that may have been that this cup pass, but thy will that the cup not be passed, it be drained. There are things we don't like to do. And especially it gets difficult sometimes when it comes with our children. And we saw that with Abraham, right? But let's apply it to today. Are there some things that we don't like about? Well, what if your child is being wayward? Your child is not living right. Are you gonna step up and do what is right? You going to correct him or her? You going to explain the way of the Lord more perfectly to that person? What if the elders have the audacity to get on your child because he or she is not living right? You going to support the elders in that? Or are you going to be a, like a lot of these parents in school? I, I talk to a lot of teachers and they tell me, you know, and, and they, you can see this. There used to be a day where there seemed to be a unified front between teachers and parents, right? And so if you got in trouble at school, and, and, and they're going to find out about it at home, then you're going to get in trouble again because you got in trouble at school. And they absolutely supported the teachers. Absolutely, Johnny deserved that. Not anymore. <laughs> oh, little Johnny would never do anything like that. Little Sally, not capable of that. They, they, they fight, and the teachers know that. Look, we got to fight. Are we ready for this fight? Put on your armor. Let's go. Are we like that in the Lord's church when it comes to our children? Oh, we're going to fight. The elder's not going to tell my child. They didn't tell this other child. And what my child's not doing is not that bad. And I know my child and I, uh-uh-uh. The elders got to do what they got to do. What if, what if this? What if the elders in a congregation had to withdraw from your child? You going to trust God on that one? His brother in Christ told me one time about a situation with his own family. His daughter had been wayward. She had left the faith, walking disorderly, as 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 says. And uh, she had been withdrawn from, from the congregation where she was worshiping off. And it was getting about time for Thanksgiving, this, this time of the year. 
and uh, she, she wanted to come home. I want to celebrate Thanksgiving with the family like we like to do. And the brother said, no. No, you, you, you can't come back. You've been withdrawn from. We're, we're not having fellowship with you. you, got, you get, get yourself right with God. Then you can come. And you know, the strange thing about that, you would think that people knowing 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, which says withdraw from every brother, no exception for children. That's in 2 Opinion chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, you would think that Christians would be united, but do you not know this, this Christian got some Christians saying, that's too harsh. That's too harsh, man. You, you, the guy, they're your children, man. Uh, discouraging him from doing what was right. Now, the silver lining of the story is the daughter came back to the Lord because things were done the right way. But let me say this, even if she hadn't come back to the Lord, it still would have been the right thing to do. Why? Because that's what God has designed this to do. If she didn't come back, that says something about her heart, right? It says something about her heart. And so even with things that we don't want to do, faith requires that we do it nonetheless. It required Abraham to do it. It requires us to do it. But let me give you a fourth point, and the lesson be yours. We learned from the faith of Abraham that faith is not static. Faith is not static. It needs to be continuously strengthened. Faith is not static. You know, we've talked about this fantastic demonstration of faith from Genesis 22. Just incredible. How does a man trust God enough to take that knife and kill his own son? And you think, man, Abraham must have always had that kind of faith. I mean, it's like tenure, right? You get tenure and you're always protected. No, uh-uh. Look at Genesis uh, chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. I want you to read this. Learn from the faith of Abraham that faith is not static. It has to be continuously strengthened. Genesis chapter 12, let's begin in verse 10. Genesis the 12th chapter in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai his wife, now listen to this. Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with you for your sake, or well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her, commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, first, I have to establish it because I've had a brother who disagreed with this. Can we not all agree that what Abram did on this occasion was not the right thing to do? Can we agree that was deceitful? I mean, give it to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a point here. He said, you, you, why, if you told me she was your wife, I wouldn't have messed with her. Why didn't you tell me that? And we know why, because we read what he said to Sarai. He says, look, you're a good looking woman. And these jokers, when I get down there and they start looking at how good you are, I'm in the way, they're going to take me out so they can have you. 
So you just tell them a half truth. You're my sister. Don't, don't say anything about that wife business. We're going to act like we're not husband and wife. What, what's the problem in that? And why is that so different from Genesis 22? Now, the same promises had already been given to Abram. He'd been told that you're going to have descendants that will be so numerous, they'll be a mighty nation. And those descendants are going to occupy the land of Canaan. And through those descendants are going to come the Messiah who will bless all the nations of the world. Now, it, it, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. If that's what God has told you, guess what must happen out of this encounter in Egypt? You got to live, <laughs> right? You got to live. At this point in time, he doesn't have a son, all right? So you got to live in order for God to bring descendants from you. You got to live for those descendants to be a great mighty nation. You got to live for those descendants in that mighty nation to occupy the land of Canaan. You got to live for the Son of God to come through your descendants. You have to live. He says, I've got this plan and I will live if you follow this plan. No, you will live because God's got your back. That's why you live. But is this the same guy? The same guy who was willing to kill his son and just figured that, you know, God will work that out. He'll raise him from the dead. It's the same guy. Which tells me what? Faith is not static. You may be on the mountain one day, and the next you may be in the valley. The faith that you had yesterday may not be the faith that you have tomorrow. Well, what do, what do we do about that? That's, a, that's inconsistent. How can we smooth that out? And I was talking Brother Jacob about what's going on in college football. Boy, there's no consistency there. And uh, you just see crazy stuff. I mean, you see uh, LSU get beaten by a sorry Texas A&M team with apologies to any Texas A&M fans or relatives thereof. Uh, how, how does that happen? You see my balls got absolutely blitzed by South Carolina. How does that, how, why, why it seemed up one day, down the next? What's the deal? What's going on? Hey, if I knew that, I would have called Coach Hype before, before the massacre in South Carolina and, and, and ironed that out. But I do know what causes inconsistency in our walk with God. And I think a story that Rodney Broadhead shared with me one time illustrates it nicely. He said there was a brother in a congregation in Alabama, a rural congregation, and they had a member of that congregation who had been stalwart, who had been strong, well grounded in the truth, so everybody thought. And he left the faith. He left the faith. And they had a men's business meeting and they were all talking about this. And somebody raised the question, I, I don't understand. How does a man who's so well grounded, who, who knows so much scripture, who has such history with walking with God, how, how does that person leave the Lord? And, and the preacher there said, uh, I know. And you can just imagine just everybody's, okay, here's, here's going to be some wisdom here. He's got this profound statement. He knows he can get to the heart of the matter. And you know what the preacher said? He said, he stopped reading his Bible. That's it? <laughs> That's the profound thing? What, where, what does that mean? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The more faith that we have, the more consistent we are in our service to God. That's why we beg and we plead, all of us, and I'm talking to myself, we need to read the Bible more.
We need to study the Bible more. We need to spend more time at the feet of God, studying and meditating upon and committing to memory and committing to heart the Word of God. Because what does it do? It builds our faith. And when you have faith, then you say, yes, you're a good-looking woman. Yes, they're going to try to kill me. But you know what? My God told me I'm going to live. So I'm not worried about what the Egyptians think. And it may not be you're worried about your wife being beautiful and you going down to Egypt, but there are things that we worry about. And let's be honest. I'm not proud of it, but there, there are times I can look in my life and I can say, man, I stood for the truth. I said what was right. And there are times when I failed miserably. I knew the truth. I knew what needed to be said. And I sat there silent, not saying a word, because my faith was not what it should be on that occasion. Doesn't matter what the faith was two weeks ago. The question is, what is it all the time? And we want to level out those inconsistencies by spending time with God's Word, because our faith is not static, and it needs to be continually strengthened. And so there we have it, lessons from the faith of Abraham. We learn from Abraham that we must act upon our faith. It's not enough just to know, not enough just to believe, but we must act upon it. We learn from the faith of Abraham that, that faith means that we trust God, even when we don't understand all the details of His will. We trust Him, no matter whether there are gaps in our knowledge, and there are God's gaps, as we said. We learn from Abraham that, that faith requires that we obey Him even when we don't want to do what He told us to do. And yes, we learn from the faith of Abraham that faith is not static and needs to be continually strengthened. If anyone is here and not a Christian, we want to encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. Show your faith. Do we not understand that it takes faith to please God? And we just quoted Hebrews 11, said, without faith it is impossible to, believe, uh, to please God, but he who comes to God must believe that he is, and there is a reward of those who doesn't seek him. We must believe God. We must believe the plan of salvation. There is a lot of faith that goes in every step of the plan of salvation. We hear, we believe, we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We repent of our former way of life, and yes, we are baptized. Now, I know some people in the religious world have a hard time with baptism. Oh, yeah, we believe in faith, and, and you don't believe in faith, and you believe in works, and, and we believe in... Well, hold up. <laughs> Colossians 2.11-12 tells me that when we go down into the watery grave of baptism, we have faith in the working of God. Otherwise, when you come up out of that water, if you've been baptized, did, did you see anything in the water floating around, those, those are your sins. Did you, did you see that? Did, did, did you see physically the blood of Jesus in that? Did, did you see? Did you see? Did you hear it? Did you smell it? No. You believe by faith that when you do what God said to do, the blood of His Son cleanses you from all sins. And you truly are, 2 Corinthians 5 17, you truly are a new creation in Christ. You believe that. Friends, that is faith. <laughs> that is faith. And once you go down that water and you're cleansed of those sins, you believe that God raises you up, a new creature in Christ. You believe that God, by His sovereign will, puts you in His church. And you believe that you now have the mandate in life that His Son had when He came, Luke 19.10, to seek and to save that which is lost. If you're here and you haven't done that, we encourage you, make it right today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't procrastinate. We talked about that. Don't put it off. Do it right now. But maybe you're already in the Lord's church, and maybe you just need prayers. You're going through a difficult time. James 5, 16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
It's all right to ask for the prayers of the saints, folks. We need those prayers. All of us do. Or maybe you've done something publicly and you need to, to repent publicly and let the church know. So I'm not ambushed and other brethren are not ambushed when they're out there teaching the Lord. Great opportunity to do this. We just want you to come to the Lord and make your soul right. Whether you're, not outside, you're outside the body of Christ or whether you're in the body of Christ and fallen away or you're in the body of Christ but you're struggling and need some help. We ask you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.